todo el mundo. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the documentary The Ventures, Stars on Guitars. This is your destination for all things rock, where the interviewees include musicians, authors, historians, filmmakers, and more. And now, on to the show. My guest today is author and musician Ronald Malfi. Ron writes horror novels, mysteries, and thrillers, and his band Beer is a hard rock outfit that's open for Buck Cherry, Fuel, and Puddle of Mud, to name a few. I became aware of him through the Books of Horror Facebook group, where he has so many fans, I just had to see what his books were all about. He's super talented and brings lyricism to everything he does, so I can't wait to talk to him. Hi, Ron. Welcome to the show. Hey, Stacy. Thanks for having me on. Well, I listened to and I love the audiobook of December Park, um, which is reminiscent of Stephen King's coming of age stories like The Body or better known as Stand By Me to movie fans, or sometimes they come back. Um, but in fact, that's a comparison that you get from a lot of reviewers, isn't it? And I'm kind of wondering, how do you <laughs> feel about that? Yeah, I, I guess it's it's inevitable. If you write horror, uh, you're you're going to get that Stephen King connection at some point, right? Um, it's it's funny. Like if you if you write like a, a like a, a love story where two people can't be together, you know, uh, nobody ever goes, well, that's like William Shakespeare, you know. But yeah, <laughs> horror horror gets that a lot. So um, and you know what, I I don't mind it. I, it's uh, I grew up reading Stephen King uh, as well as but you know Peter Straub, guys like that, Clive Barker. Um, and uh, so, you know, I guess it's uh, inevitable that some some of the stuff that I've learned from reading that kind of has informed my my own style. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, look, Stephen King is 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 the the center of the horror universe, for you know, for books. And uh, that, you know, that's fine. I, I don't mind it at all. So if people are reading and enjoying the work, they can compare it to whatever they want. Right. Right. Um, well, like I said, I had listened to the audio book and I really enjoyed it. You had a great narrator. So I'm wondering if you could kind of walk me through the process of what it's like to have an audio book recorded. Do you choose the narrator and do you listen to each chapter after it's read or how does that work? 
Yeah. So generally I'm sent a, uh, the publisher, the, the audiobook publisher will send me a couple of different links of different narrators. I listen to them and see which ones, which ones I like and, you know, kind of go from there that, you know, I say, yeah, this, this person sounds good. Go for it. Then, then they just record it. Um, I'll admit that I've listened to very few of my audiobooks. Um, beyond just that that sample chapter or you know a sample that they send me um however uh, i wound up uh joe hempel a, a great audiobook narrator he and i have kind of gotten into this uh you know role where he's done the last i don't know four or so of my books oh, and nice he, you know i've just heard still I, I i loved i've heard him narrate other books that i had listened to on audio uh, we became friendly, and whenever I have an op opportunity to throw his name out there to the publisher, I, I do so. So yeah, so he's been kind of like my go-to for the past few books, and I did go back and listen to uh, Black Mouth that he did, uh, just because I'm like, you know what, everybody loves him. I want to hear him, so <laughs> I, I, I gave that a listen. And uh, yes, the the reviews are correct. He's awesome, and I'm I've, I've been very happy with uh, the the responses that people have got, you know, have have, have uh, had towards the the narration that he does. But, uh, you know, as far as that goes, I mean, I'm fairly hands off. Occasionally, I'll get an, uh, a narrator sending me a message asking how to pronounce something, a name or, or a location or, um, you know, just just something like that. But really, uh, I'm kind of hands off until it comes out. Were there any surprises? I mean, with Joe in particular, since you've only listened to but one of the books, but any surprises <laughs> on how he interpreted something or made it sound different than what you may have intended um you, you know no i don't think there were surprises but like there's a town uh in in the novel called uh sutton's key but it's spelled like q u a y quay and i know some people would tend to pronounce it that way uh -huh. and i didn't realize that until I, I knew the, the audiobook was coming out and I'm like, ooh, I wonder if I, sh should I be presumptuous and think he didn't know how to pronounce that? So I listened to the book and he pronounced it correctly. Yay. Which, I'm like, oh, <laughs> great, a there's, there's a win. <laughs> <laughs> but it would it could have gone easily the other way. And if it did, I'd just say, yes, okay, that's how I meant to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, another favorite of mine is Ghost Written, which I just recently finished. Um, and it's four novellas in one volume. So um, can you tell our listeners about these stories? Because I kind of love the books within a book concept. Yeah. So so I wrote, so that that, that book didn't start off being a book. I, I, I had a, a two book deal with Titan that I was working on at the time. I had just finished a novel, you know, uh, uh, the publication of a novel came out uh, called Come With Me back in 20, 2021 maybe or so um and uh and then i knew the next book i was going to write was black mouth and both of those books are pretty pretty um heavy novels i mean come with me deals with grief uh and the loss of someone uh black mouth deals with uh, childhood trauma and, and addictions and uh, i knew going into black mouth it was a just it was in for another 400 500 pages of just heavy heavy material so yeah sort of palette cleanser in between the two i wrote the first novella of ghost written just on it just on a whim um and uh, i just kind of had fun with it it was you know it's a, a book about a haunted story and and i love all manner of like you know writerly conceits so like the the the, the alcoholic troubled cliched writer and 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 the the haunted manuscript and and the the story that won't die and i love all that kind of stuff so i kind of wrote it for myself before i jumped on this next novel 
and I sent it to my editor thinking maybe they'd publish it as a, you know, like a standalone sort of free ebook or something in between the two novels and whatever. Um, but she came back to me and she said, Hey, you know, we were discussing in house and if you can come up with three more kind of in this same vein, uh, we'll put out a collection of them. So I'm like, all right, that sounds great. And I, I committed to it right away because it sounded fun and it would let me kind of exercise those writerly cliches that I tried not to do in my other books because it's <laughs> so, so on the nose. But, um, but soon as I started working on the other ones, I'm like, man, this is tough. Like it's, it's a very niche uh, trope. And how do I write three more novellas that aren't treading the same ground? Like, how do I make each one unique, but stick it to that, that same, that same, you know, uh, that same tone, that same, that same subgenre that I was writing in. And, um, you know, so that was really the struggle. And then once I had started writing them, I, I realized, you know what, these could be kind of connected. And I wound up having fun with sort of leaving Easter eggs in each of the novellas that kind of relate back and forth to each other that, that have, you know, uh, they, they inform the reader of possibly a different outcome than the, than the novella they read earlier based on something that's said in, in a later novella, you know, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And once I real once that fell into place, I'm like, you know, this is, it's, it's not really a collection anymore. It's sort of a novel, a loose novel, but it's got these different parts to it and they all interact with each other and inform each other. And I, and I, that, that to me, I had the most fun with. So once I had finished it and I'm like, you know, took that deep breath. I'm like, well, this wasn't, this wasn't the palate cleanser I thought it was going to be <laughs> it was a lot of work, but I was really satisfied with just how everything kind of came together. And, uh, you know, it came from scratch. It was just basically based on my editors, you know, challenging me with, Hey, can you do, can you do three more of these things? Yeah. It's so fun. It, it is different from your heavier uh, is, yeah. novels uh, departure. Um, the first story I kind of felt, I don't know if this is just me, but it kind of felt like it was a little bit of an homage to the telltale heart. Yeah. It's got that. Well, so it's got this whole, um, you know, there, there's an Edgar Allan Poe kind of vein in there. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, anytime you you kind of dip into the the tormented writer, the, you know, the the story within a story kind of thing. Um, and it gets very meta in, in this book. Um, I, I, I think it's unavoidable that you kind of tread on that. Um, and especially, then, you know, not to give away sort of the, the conceit at the end of that novella, but it is about sort of guilt and responsibility and and the secrets that we we keep buried that now come back to haunt us kind of thing which is which is a, you know a popular trope in in horror fiction and it's sort of you know i've certainly tread on that in, in the past with my own work but you know it was just it was just really fun to kind of exercise that and know i was owning the cliches instead of trying to avoid them <laughs> yeah it's really fun i am currently um reading Carolyn Kepnes's latest you book you yeah. and only you and it's very very writerly I'm thinking to myself as I'm you know I'm about halfway through it I don't know if anyone but writers or editors would really <laughs> like this book but it is brilliant too <laughs> it is funny I, I don't know how, you know it, it, I always do wonder that how many people who are not writers uh who enjoy reading books about writers I don't know I yeah. love them but I'm I'm in a select few so I, I right? don't know <laughs> Yeah, well, it is. It's a really fun one, and you're doing it again, if I'm not mistaken, with kind of a novellas put together in They Lurk, or what can you share about that upcoming book? Yeah, here? so yeah, so They Lurk comes out in July. It is five novellas in a collection, and unlike you know, Ghost Written was written as 
you know, for that book. I mean, those those four novellas in the order they are can be that ghostwritten can be read as as a novel or a collection of of standalone novellas, even though they're connected. Uh, they Lurk is simply a collection of unrelated novellas that had been published in the past that had gone out of print. And I, I've always had so many people ask for these books, these novellas, and um, you know, it just felt right to kind of kind of go through them again. So you know what, I, I can put I can put these out there again. So four of the five novellas in They Lurk are reprints. Um, that had been published maybe a decade earlier and they've, they've since been out of print. And then there's one brand new one that I wrote specifically for that collection. It was a novella that I had been working on just sort of between projects. And when I, I agreed to do, to put They Lurk out there, I just felt thematically it just fit in with this whole, this whole conceit of, you know, which which is all the novellas in They Lurk. It's all these sort of outside influences coming into to rupture uh, the daily fabric of life. Uh, so that one kind of fits. So yeah, so you get four reprints and uh, then a brand new one in that book. Oh, so did you get to go over the old material? I know like <laughs> most writers, it's like, oh man, I got to fix this or that, or my, you know, my writing's improved now and I want to get in there and mess with it. Did you? You know what? I even met, there's, there's an afterword in that book where I sort of talk about that where I'm like, you know, the, the you know, the, the act of writing is the act of indefinitely editing. And, yes. and, you know, if you left a writer, you know, as you know, to, to your own devices, you could edit forever and never feel <laughs> like it's done. So I really resisted that. I wanted to present them in the form that they were originally published in. They had already been edited and published. So I, I tried to resist changing. Uh, however, you know, aside from like typos or anything, um, but there were a couple of elements in each story where I, 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 I may have spruced up something or corrected some kind of malapropism or some, some inaccuracy that came mm -hmm. up in the story that the original, uh, editor had missed, um, and or clarified a line of dialogue. So I did, I did make some minimal, minimal edits on those, but I was, I, I was very conscious of saying, no, I'm not going, these aren't going to be rewrites. Right? <laughs> these, are, these are pretty much the way they, they were originally written. Well, now I'm going to veer back into comparing you with Stephen King because he's in a band um, called the Rock Bottom Remainders. I see what you and, did there too. Yes, the yes. <laughs> That's your, the name of your band, Veer. <laughs> So, um, but you, yours is more than just a hobby. So um, I haven't seen you perform live yet, but I was checking you out on YouTube, your channel, and I was so impressed. I mean, the, the post grunge hard rock sound, that's something that I really love. So I'm curious to know though, what came first for you? Was it music or writing? Uh, the, the writing came first. I mean, I was writing, you know, I, I bought like an old typewriter when I was like 10 or 11 years old at a yard sale and just started you did. writing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I just took off from there and I, and I just, something in my mind just said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a writer someday. So that was like at a very young age. Um, I didn't really get into music until I was in high school. I mean, I always listened to it, but as far as playing music, um, mm -hmm. and I put my first band together and as like a junior in high school. And, uh, I, I fell in love with that process. I mean, writing is a very intimate, lonely endeavor, but you know, you, you could, you could learn to, uh, in a band, you get to kind of exercise those creative muscles with a, a group of people, if you're lucky, a group of friends and like-minded musicians who who can share and enhance uh, that creativity, the, the ideas you have. Um, you know, I write most of the music for the band and it's it's one thing, you know, it's one thing to write it and 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 present it to the other people in the band, but it's a whole other thing to have them put their input into it and 
show you how how they can really turn this idea into something that's mature and cohesive and involving other moving parts that maybe you didn't consider. So it, it, they are very different. Um, you know, they're, they're very different vocations, but they sort of come from the same wellspring creative, creatively, you know, mostly. Uh, well, who are some of your musical influences and particularly lyricist um, being the writer that you are? I'm curious to know, like how, you know, are yeah. you really like into lyrics? I, I am. It's well, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, I love a, a good lyricist. I, I I love listening to music and trying to decode what the what the song what the songwriter was trying to say. Um, and, and clear, you know, and I'm a writer, so words mean something to me. Of when course. I write my own music, the lyrics are the last thing mm -hmm. that I put down. Like it's always ah. it's always sort of a hook and a mel and 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 the chords and a melody that will ultimately be replaced by lyrics but that melody is what drives it and i'll i'll you know the first you know rehearsals we have on working on new material i'll just kind of utter nonsense into the microphone in, in in a melody that has sort of the cadence of where i want words to go and it's really not until like the last process where i go okay now what is this song about you know and i start looking at it from there but I mean, I, as far as listening to, I, I listen really to everything. I listen to everything from, from, from instrumental jazz to, to, you know, sound, you know, movie scores to, uh, you know, you, you mentioned grunge, grunge, you know, I grew up in the, you know, the nineties the really, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, that alternative rock. I love that stuff. Um, lyricists go, I mean, is there, I don't know, probably the, the, the album that moved me most is from a lyrical standpoint was probably, uh, Counting Crows' first album, August and Everything After. Adam Duritz is a consummate poet. Uh, that album is fantastic. Um, you know, and that it sort of um, showed you how, I mean, and the music is great on that record too, but the, the it's the poetry of those lyrics that really carry that entire album. And that's something that uh, I found very impressive to me at the time when I listened to that, because that was, when that come out? ninety. Four, I want to say there were uh -huh. a lot of great albums that year or within the like a two-year span that every yeah and that one just was very uh you know poet centric and I and I found that to be a very a big departure from the other stuff you know I I, I very quickly fell in love with all the Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam and all that 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 became commercial you know alternative rock at the time um, and prior to that, it was all the, you know, I was, look, I, I was listening to Def Leppard, you know, and I, you know, you could question some of their lyrics, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, it, I listen to different things for different reasons. Uh, but, you know, you asked about the lyrics, I'd have to cite, you know, the first album that comes to mind is that first Counting Crows record. Yeah, there are some strange lyrics from the, the kind of that grunge era, like Nirvana, mm -hmm. you know, you're, well, for one thing, you can barely understand what he's saying, but then when you look at the <laughs> lyrics, you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> Yeah. And it's sort of like they mean nothing at all, and which sort of allows you to kind of put your own interpretation on it, which is kind of cool or could be a cop out. I, you know, I don't <laughs> <laughs> or wow, that's so deep. I don't understand it. So he must be <laughs> yeah. a brilliant poet. Um, well, he so must be. <laughs> <laughs> when you're writing, do you listen to music or do you find that a distraction? I used to always listen to music. I used when I was like, I, you know, I probably, by the time I graduated college, I had like six or seven full-length novel manuscripts written that I started from like high school and into college and all that. And I would, there are certain albums that I played nonstop 
when I was writing them. A lot of a lot of uh, Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp back then. Mm. They, they just mm-hmm. seemed to have that small town vibe of the of the of the kind of stories that I was writing. Um, and then I kind of segued as I got a little older. Uh, segued into listening to jazz, you know, uh, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Dave Brubeck. I'm a huge Dave Brubeck fan. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I will say, I mean, I'm a 46 year old dude right now and it's, it's all I can do to focus on one thing at a time. So I will occasionally put on like, uh, I, I listen to also a lot of horror movie, uh, soundtrack, like scores from horror movies. Um, when I write, but it's got to be pretty low in the background. Otherwise I get distracted. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a different process. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you didn't really get into wanting to play music until you were a teenager. Was there a certain tipping point for that? Was there a concert where you're like, oh my gosh, that looks so amazing or a record that made you want to learn how to play? You know, it, it's funny. I, always liked music, never picked up an instrument. My parents one year bought me a guitar for Christmas. I never touched it, just sat in my room. I, I just didn't have the the inclination. And then I'm, I'm, like I said, I was around a junior in high school. So it was fairly late as far as finding an interest in playing music. Um, but I was homesick from school and this is gonna sound weird, but the movie Great Balls of Fire was like on TV. Uh-huh. And I was completely blown away by that movie and that music and I went up I remember getting up from the couch and putting in a VHS tape in, in the VCR and and hit record and started taping the movie off of TV and then I would play it back over and over again with this little we had a little Casio keyboard there and and just mimic his hand movements on the, the keyboards mm-hmm. and I learned how to play piano from watching that movie and like you know we didn't even own a piano. My parent, like around that same time, my parent, uh, friends of my parents were moving. They gave us this old upright grand. This thing was ancient. It looked like a, like a, like something Dracula would be buried in. We just <laughs> rolled this thing into the house. And uh, I, I learned how to play pretty much. I realized I could play by ear. So I could kind of listen to a, a song and play it back. And I was doing that with everything. So in like three months, I was doing everything from Beethoven to John Lennon to whatever shitty Brian Adams song that was on the radio and anything piano centric I was I was into. And, and uh, like three months after that, I wound up I lied about my age and got a job playing uh, at a at a cocktail lounge at a Chinese food restaurant. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, so I fell in love with the piano first, and that's kind of what taught me how to do this. You know, how to, how to kind of taught me the how to how to compose music. I was starting to write my own stuff, and and what it meant to to you know learn the nuances of chord, chord changes, progressions, where melody lay layers on top of chord changes, and 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 all that stuff. And then uh, you know, probably a few months later, I grabbed some friends, said, "Hey, we're gonna learn how to play music," and I learned how to play that guitar that was sitting in my bedroom. None of us. None of us had taken lessons. My brother was our drummer. Uh, my two best friends were the other guitar and bass player. And we just started playing. And it turned, we got really spoiled because me and the other guitar players, player realized we could kind of hear a song and play it back. So we both kind of had that ability. We kind wow, of learned. That's a great ourselves to have. It was It was great. And we didn't realize what, how how unique that was until we, years later we were we, we'd play with other people. And like, oh, how come this person can't do that? You know, and you go, mm-hmm. oh. Maybe not everybody does, but um, it was such a great experience. And, uh, and we did that for a few years in high school. And then, you know, it, it, we just, the older I got, the more serious I took it. So I was in different iterations of bands throughout high school, into college, at, right after college. Um, and each band was more 
you know, incrementally successful than the next. And, uh, you know, I just always stuck with it. And then I took like a 15 year hiatus before Veer came around. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I actually thought I was done. Yeah. But uh, surprise. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned that you always wanted to write, even as a child. Was there a writer in your family that inspired you? Or would you just start to read when you were very young? Or tell me about that. I, I read uh, voraciously when I was a kid. I, I read everything I could get my hands on. Um, and uh, I just, I liked, I was always kind of a solitary kid too. So while, while I enjoyed, you know, and I played sports and stuff and that was fine. I wasn't great at it, but, um, and I had a, a large, fairly large group of friends, but I always kind of liked my my alone time. And, you know, I would always do creative stuff. I, I was, I used to draw all the time. I used to do these little comic book things. Um, I used to write. It, it seemed like any creative endeavor that I ever tried to take, like, would get involved in, it would kind of overtake me for a period. And that's what I would do. So if I listened to certain music when I was older, then I'm like, all right, I'm going to start playing music like this. And I kind of teach myself that, that, that style, you know, and learn it from that regard. If I looked at, you know, if I would watch cartoons on TV, then I'd like get a note notebook and like draw my own little cartoon characters and stuff. Huh. So it was really the same with writing. Um, you know, once I I start started reading like books that kind of spoke to me, uh, I, you know, did the same thing I did with everything else. I tried writing my own. I just really fell in love with that. I think the first thing, the first book I read was a Stephen King book that that influenced me enough to try to write my own and it was uh ironically enough it wasn't even his horror novels it was uh the eyes of the dragon and um i read that i was probably 10 years old or so and then i immediately in that typewriter i was telling you about i immediately put a piece of paper in the typewriter as soon as i was done reading that book and basically plagiarized that novel <laughs> uh, yeah but yeah i did i used to study like syntax and I'd, I'd retype not just from his books but like from other other books that that were lying around i'd read them and then i'd just retype the paragraphs just to get a sense of the flow of the words and how they came out and um you know it, it was almost like a like my own little writing school right and i did that i remember doing that for years really i've got like i still have all those old, old typed up you know plagiarized manuscripts <laughs> well, that's a great way to teach yourself and the same with the music because mm -hmm. your books and your music they have a familiarity but there's a uniqueness to them that i feel like that you've really brought to each endeavor that, thank you. I, I mean, I think that's really kind of the hallmark of doing this, doing anything creative is to have a familiarity that resonates with people, makes it seem like you've been here before and you're comfortable with it, yet it's also wholly its own thing and different, right? Yeah. And there's no, you know, and I, I say that about my writing, I say that about my music. Um, you know, there's a lot of great music out there. There's a lot of great writers out there. There's no point in me emulating what someone else does because it already exists so you, you know the, the point is to always push yourself and do something different where so someone can listen to that, the music or or read the book and say uh, you know oh, only this guy can do this thing and that's his thing you know exactly yeah yeah hello everyone could i please have your attention it's my honor and privilege to play Veer's new single, Figure It Out. The song was just released on July 1st as a digital download for those who pre-order their album, Soft Machines, which drops on July 22nd, 2003. Uh, let's have a listen.
Great. I love the guitar solo. Okay, back to the interview with Ron. Um, so I'm wondering, what is the best book that you've read lately? And are there any new bands or any like new to you music that you've discovered recently? Hmm. Okay. Um, the best book I read lately, I don't even, it's not even out yet. So I was lucky enough to get an advanced copy of Clay McLeod Chapman's forthcoming novel, What Kind of Mother? Uh, it blew me away. I mean, it is, it is, 303 if I remember correctly 303 pages of just poetry in in novel form I mean huh. is it, it, it horror it is a horror novel and it is it's I won't even say it's terrifying it is such a throat constricting buildup of dread huh. that that to to for a writer to, to carry that sense throughout an entire novel at an increasing slowly increasing pace was just it was it's a it's a masterwork I, I was just really blown away and uh yeah I got I got to see him at the at AuthorCon uh a few months ago and I got you know I said hey man and I already had sent him an email about it too but it's just in person I'm like look I said this if this thing doesn't sweep like all the awards for next year <laughs> I, said, I, I don't know what to tell you but wow. oh, no, it, it was fantastic so yeah Clay McLeod Chapman's uh what kind of mother great great book okay um and then music wise honestly the the thing i've been listening to most lately that i really just front to back has been a great album is the mammoth uh wvh the uh album the the uh wolfgang van halen's oh yeah yeah it is uh it's just the epitome of of hook laden guitar rock the guy is fantastic i mean maybe i'll get struck by a bolt of lightning but i liked it better than van halen so i don't know (laughs) it's 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 amazing it's really a great album he is so talented i don't Uh, know that he always gets you know the credit for being who he you know because of who he is being ed van halen's son it's like oh you know he's he was born with it but i think that he really has his own 
special style that's his, but you, like I said about you, you know, there's a familiarity, mm-hmm. but there's also something that's definitely his own. Oh yeah. And I think he plays everything on that first album. If that's I amazing. On. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, it would be very easy to, uh, you know, fall into that niche of emulating his father's sound and trying to, but he doesn't, he's, he's his own thing. And that's just like you said, there's a familiarity to it, but it's uniquely him, you know, and that's great. Well, now I'm going to segue into nightmares from happy guitar players to what is your own rock and roll nightmare? This is my standard, almost closing question. Oh, my own rock and roll nightmare. (laughs) I'm going to give you something something that really happened, right? So the the worst scenario that I ever felt I was in from a band standpoint was uh, the a band a, a band I was in uh, back in the from like 2000 to 2002 uh, got like a demo deal and stuff through Capital, and we were going to hop on a uh, a national tour. We we were like seated to like sign a deal we were like right on the cusp and my brother who is not the brother in in my current band veer this is another brother uh decides he's gonna quit the band uh during a show and he kicks his drums off the stage and the entire band fell apart we had to walk away from everything we were doing (laughs) oh my god that is a nightmare that was a nightmare (laughs) well it took me 15 years but (laughs) (laughs) yeah hey better late than never that's right uh so ron what is the best place for fans to find and follow you online well, I've got a website. It's ronaldmalfi.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Everything's basically under my name. Um, you found me, Stacy, so people can. It's That's possible. true. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're friends on Facebook, but yeah, I'm I'm yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty accessible. So all right. Well, um, thanks for being on the show. It's really been great to talk to you, and I hope to meet you in person one day at one of these author events. That sounds great. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. All right. Thanks. This concludes another episode of the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Remember, there's a book series, too. All the books are available in paperback, ebook, and audio via Amazon or the Rock and Roll Nightmares website. That's R O C K N dash r-o-l-l dash nightmares.com our official theme song is she's out for blood by fuzzbuster founded by lars cabot thank you for listening